Welcome to the WAVE podcast, Women Living with HIV, Advocates, Voices, Empowered. The WAVE is a series of podcasts by and for women living with HIV around the world, talking about our sexual and reproductive health and rights. Welcome to the WAVE podcast. I'm Fiona Hale and I'm really pleased to be speaking to Longret Quasim today from the UK. Longret, hi. Thank you, Fiona. Hi, my name is Longret and I am an associate of Salamander Trust. I'm also a co-director of 4Mnet Mentor Mothers Network that kind of supports women living with HIV through pregnancy and beyond. The 4Mnet Mental Mothers Program is a grassroots-led organization. It's formed for us by us, providing peer mentoring and supervision to our UK-wide network of mental mothers. So these are women who are living with HIV, who have gone through the pregnancy journey themselves and have been trained as mental mothers and also as facilitators of the pregnancy journey workshops. Could you just tell us a bit about what the pregnancy journey workshops look like and what kind of things you do during them? Yes, so pregnancy journey workshops are usually over two days. The first day is around HIV awareness, how you can prevent transmission, how you can conceive, the sort of methods that you could use, what happens during pregnancy, different stages of when the baby is developing. We work with Beaver Guidelines, which is the British HIV Association Guidelines. So we talk about the facts and women get a chance to share what sort of strategies they've used as well and how you might want to talk to your significant other about HIV because sometimes women find out in pregnancy that they have got HIV. If you're already living with HIV and you want to have a baby, what are your options? And then once you have the pregnancy, what about delivery? What sort of things do you want to be thinking about? What sort of tests should you be going for? Antenatal care, keeping the baby safe. A lot of the times when it comes to pregnancy, the focus is on the baby and the focus is on the woman. So what we try to do is then we focus on the woman herself first because once the woman is safe, then the baby would be safe. We talk about the importance of staying engaged in care after you have the baby because research has shown that there's a tendency that sometimes women fall out of care after, after pregnancy. And so that's what we do the first day. The second day is, is basically around creative writing and peer support. So we talk about mentoring, what does mentoring mean, what are your boundaries and the issues that might come up for you. And then we have the creative writing bit, which is a really important bit because we provide a safe creative space for women to be able to explore their emotions, really, and their experiences. That's one of the sessions that the women rated really highly. So they talk about their journeys, their HIV journeys, and a lot of the women, they share their stories, and a lot of them say that that's the first time that they're actually sharing their stories with anyone. It's a very emotional session, but we also make sure that we have enough facilitators to be able to support that. The women also reported that although it was emotional, that they found it really cathartic. It gave them a way to express themselves. When people start to talk, then you start to hear about mental health and you hear about violence and things like that. 
And so that's a good sort of way to then have that conversation around those things and then provide support for the women. And by then, because it's a two-day training, by the second day, people are a bit more relaxed and, and are able to share. And then we find that once people share those stories, then there's that bond and creates that sort of sense of community. It sounds great, Longer. Yeah. It's really important. This is the really great thing, isn't it, about peer support, that it, it can see people as a whole person. It doesn't divide people into different bits of their lives. Exactly. And that's why it's so important that we have that. A lot of times people, they describe the support as like a family. And how long have you been going, Longret? So since 2016, when we started, we've had eight from pregnancy to mother and beyond mental mother trainings across the UK. And we also had a residential training of trainers workshop for mental mothers in October in 2017. We also have various webinars on different subjects of priority for the mental mothers. We also collaborate on research with universities. We've had three different um, collaborations and we present our results through posters and oral presentations at conferences. We also speak about the project at various events. And we've also produced an advocacy brief with the women themselves about what it is that their priorities are. So we've got all of these resources on the Salamander Trust um, website. And we also did a launch of a Pregnancy and Beyond Training Manual, which has been like a culmination of all the work we've been doing over the years since 2016. And that has been really well received. We've had fantastic reviews and it's accessible online. It's been downloaded and used across the globe. You can access that as well on the Salamander Trust website. That all sounds brilliant, Longa. We'll put the link to the resources that you're talking about along with the podcast when we put it online. We took the next step to become an independent registered community interest company. I mean, we're still supported by Salamander Trust, who has been supporting the program since 2016. But this is our next step. So we're trying to be independent and see how sustainable we can be. The number one priority would be funding. It's also important that we have stakeholders working with us and funders listening to what we're saying our priorities are rather than what they think that our priorities are because we find that we talk about what we want and then when we go out and we want to sort of look for the funding to do the work that's not what the funders want to fund and I think it's also important that researchers step up and and work with us to research into the issues that are specifically affecting women things are not static you know things change we are in treatment and we're living longer. And, and I think now the emphasis is on the quality of life. But then because there's so little research being carried out on women, there's still a lot we don't know about women. We're ready to work alongside others. And I don't think excuses are enough. I think it's possible and it can be done if people are committed to do it. I mean, it's really interesting, isn't it, that you're talking about challenges and issues that need to be addressed that have been identified through peer-led work right so what would be your your main message to donors funding has just been such a frustration to be honest we find ourselves spending huge hours applying for funding every year and I mean while we appreciate that those that have supported us through the years have done that and that's how we've been able to achieve what we have since 2016 but every year it's a struggle because we have to apply year on year it's just enough funding to achieve the barest minimum, we also have to sort of be able to pay our bills. So then we have 
full-time jobs and then we're doing this on the side and so for us to be able to do this well we need to have the funding that enables us to be able to to spend the time that we need to spend to do the work that needs doing and we need sustainable space for women to be able to achieve that and that's only possible with sustainable longer term funding so say if you have funding this year and you don't have funding next year and then you get funding the year after the women have lost their confidence and so you have to start again from scratch rather than building on what it is that you did before if we're able to get funding for like three years five years then it means that women are actually developing and they have that time to be able to develop rather than sort of just having one off funding and then it's gone and everybody goes back to scratch again and then we start all over again. Often what happens is that we are the women that funders want to support. We are women living HIV working with ourselves. So really, we are the ones that the funders need to be looking at. But because we're so small, it's so frustrating because it's either the criteria automatically excludes us or we haven't got the funding in place to, to fundraise because fundraising is quite expensive, takes a lot of time. And so sometimes you either find that we write bids and the bids are not good enough because we don't have the expertise to do it, or we get other instances where we get people who work with us pro bono to support us to do the work. And then the funders choose to give the funding to bigger organizations with less expertise than what we have. It's so frustrating. Because a lot of us run these organizations because we're, we're passionate and because we have a need and we know how important it is to our quality of life. But then we also know that voluntary work is not, is not sustainable. Funders assume that just because we have been volunteering that we should carry on volunteering and then there's funding there. But the funders just don't want to give us the funding because our priority is not theirs. We're well now because we're supporting ourselves. But then once we can't support ourselves because the volunteering is not sustainable, we're going to drop and it's not good enough. When you say you're doing full-time jobs, you don't mean doing full-time jobs for 4M mentor mothers. You mean doing other jobs that then allow you to spend your free time doing work for 4M? Is that how it works? Yeah, so... For example, a lot of us sort of do the, the 4M work on a volunteering basis, mainly. So then it means that I struggle with the time because I have to do my, my full-time job first because that's what pays my bills. So if we were able to get the core funding, I would leave working in mental health and come and work for 4M because then it means that I can concentrate on that. But at the moment, it's really difficult. And we find that as well with the women who volunteer to do the mentoring, that a lot of the women now, when they started off, maybe they weren't working, and now they're starting to work. And so it's becoming difficult for women to, not because they don't want to, but because you know now they have a full-time job somewhere else that is nothing to do with 4M. They're now spending all that time working. And so even though they want to be part of the group, they're not having that much time to be able to engage with us anymore. And a lot of them say, you know, it would be great if we can have the funding to be able to be employed to do this job because it's an expert job. It's an expertise. Yeah, because the women in your network are all supporting other women, other peers, aren't they? Yes, they are. So what we do is we provide mentoring for them and we provide supervision for them to be able to then support other women who are living HIV through pregnancy in their own communities. And, and I think it's important that we do that because, first of all, they are women living with HIV as well and they need that support for their own well-being. And also, 
it is just part of mentoring that when people are supporting others, they need to have supervision as well for their own support. And so it's sort of like a cascade and, and they need funding to be able to do that. If someone wants to go out and go and meet uh, another woman in town, well, she needs transportation to get there. When they go out, it's nice to have something to drink while they're out there. So it's all of these little bits and pieces. And then it's all the administrative work that goes into it as well. So it seems like we're not doing a lot, but actually we are. Mm. And it costs a lot of money to be able to do that. And that supervision and support for women who are providing peer support to others is really important. I can imagine that there are some really difficult issues sometimes that they're providing support on. So getting support themselves to be able to deal with that and with any issues that it might raise for them thinking about their own lives as well. Exactly. You need that support network. And that's why we had the WhatsApp page as well. It's a UK-wide network, but then people live in different areas. The women would like to meet more regularly, even face-to-face, but we haven't got the money to do that. And so the WhatsApp was actually supposed to be like a cheaper way of making sure that we're meeting each other. We're all women living with HIV, so we all sort of have our own journeys. And sometimes, you know, people can struggle as well. People sometimes have to take some breaks off because of ill health, bereavement. Sometimes people take time off because of immigration issues. So these women are mental mothers, but they are also going through their own issues. But on an average, every woman will provide support to at least five other women. What do you think it gives all the women who are involved, both the ones who are receiving support from the volunteer mentor mothers and the mentor mothers themselves who are giving support, but also receiving it from the 4M core team like yourself? Peer support is about meeting people who you feel comfortable with. And so it's that sense of normalcy, because these are people who have gone through similar experiences with yourself. And I think it's safety as well. These are women that we know, we build trusting relationship with over time. We share common experiences. They feel safe. And because they feel safe, it improves their well-being. It helps them to be able to cope with the HIV better. We also support each other. If someone does anything, they can share on the WhatsApp page. So we encourage each other a lot. We celebrate any milestones that people have. Someone, for example, would share that a mental mother that she was supervising, she would say, oh, someone just had a baby. And people, and she, she says, oh, well, it makes me feel very great because I supported her to be able to get that baby. So it's those sort of things that, it just, it, I think for some people, they say it feels like, like a family. And so it's an opportunity for you to be yourself, but also to develop your skills and get involved to be able to then um, look after yourself, but also the opportunity to be able to look after others. I think it's mainly a platform that provides people the opportunity to build their confidence, but also to be empowered and to feel part of a group. Do you think there is an expectation that your work should just happen without funding because you're passionate and because it helps you? Yeah, we find that people just think, okay, well, if you are already volunteering and the work is already happening, then you should carry on doing it. We also need to understand that we're working with women. And so it's not even just about work. You also have families, you have school runs, you have children. And all of these things are things that take up your time. Do you think gender inequality is part of this? Oh, definitely. I would say that all services, including the funding and the research, are approached from a gender equity lens. Until you do that, it's very easy for women to end up having very little. 
because of the, the gender inequality, by default, we always end up with, with less than what we, we require. How much percentage of funding goes to women? It's very small. Yeah and, yeah, and as you say, taking into account the fact that women are already often the ones who are in lower paid jobs, given the gender pay gap. Exactly, um, <laughs> yeah. And yeah. then we, we face so much intersectionalities as well. So we're already sort of uh, on an on equal footing and then you add this to it. So it's just it just means that we're not getting the services that we need. And I think it's really important that, that funders understand at the moment, you know, we're doing these things because, like you say, we're, we're, we're passionate and we really need the service. And that's why we're doing it. But, but we can't sustain it. It needs funding to be able to do that. The kind of things that you do in 4Mnet, is there any provision for that within other organisations? Or is what you're providing really quite unusual? Um, I think there's peer support, but because ours is focused on perinatal, it's a special focus. Research has shown that women have got specific needs in that time. So this is quite unique work in the sense that we're working with women who have also gone through the pregnancy journey themselves. It's support that you have to have by experience. And so it is a unique service. It's not um, something that you can get from anywhere else. Because we all started off together and we have kind of built a service together. So this is our project. It's actually not something from outside. This is what we want to do. And that's why it's really frustrating when we're doing this already and we have the track record that we have done this struggle to get it to where it is, mainly volunteering with a little bit of uh, funding, that um, we are not able to get the funding that we need to be able to make sure that it's working and it's working well. The funding that you've had so far has been project funding right it's been specifically tied to particular budget lines and particular activities yes so all the funding we've got so far really since we started has been project-based work so usually they last about a year and so every year we have to apply for new funding and that's the challenge because it's project-based work we haven't got any core funding to ensure that we're then sustaining ourselves so that would be the next thing that we would really want to have, that, that core funding to be able to then sustain this work and make it grow, really, because it can grow further than what it is. But it hasn't been able to do that because it's project-based funding that we've been getting so far. Do you have any final words before we finish? It's really important that women have sustainable women-only spaces for us to be able to interact with our peers. I do what I do now because of these spaces. If I didn't have this space... I won't be able to function. And I think sometimes that's the challenge, that people see us doing well and then they say you don't need the service. But then we're only doing well because we have the service. Yeah. <laughs> if I didn't have the service, I wouldn't be speaking to you today. Yeah. Um, so it's really important that they understand how important these spaces are for us. And these are our priorities. These are the things that help us live well with treatment. These are the things that help us look after ourselves. It's because we have this support network. I think they also need to understand the effects of these systems and these support networks for us and how they actually do then reflect on the clinical outcomes that we're able to get. Health systems, commissioners, charities, grant-making organisations just need to recognise the importance of of community-based, grassroots community-based organisations. And it's it's not about how big you are, but it's about the quality of service you provide 
grassroots organizations are the closest people to the people who need the services. So really, they should find ways of changing their criteria of funding for us to be able to access these fundings. So I would like for people to work with us. We're here. Work with us and I think we'll be able to achieve more that way. Longret, thank you so much. It's been brilliant speaking to you. Thank you very much as well for having me. This podcast is produced by the Salamander Trust with support from UNAIDS. If you'd like to know more about the issues, please go to the Salamander Trust website, www.salamandertrust.net. Thank you for listening.